They were a fairly typical church. Uh, unfortunately, they were fairly typically screwed up. Okay? Um, we know that there was tolerance for sexual immorality, which I'm sure we see in churches today. Uh, there was impropriety in worship when they would come together for the Lord's Supper. When they would come together for the Lord's Supper, they would wait on each other, they, would, they, they were ill-mannered, they would come and, and fill their bellies, and, uh, and Paul uh, cautioned them against this. And what he wanted to get through to them is he wanted to get through to them they do have freedom in Christ, but don't let your freedom be a barrier or a stumbling block to anyone else. All right? We have all kinds of freedoms in Christ, but we don't necessarily use them all because of their appropriateness. And um, so we see that in chapter 10, Paul talks to them about uh, Israel's history and the believer's freedom. He talks to them about uh, idol feasts and the Lord's Supper. And you know, from that background, that Paul was writing to these people, you've got to understand that culturally they were significantly different than we are. Now, we're going to see today, I believe, in a verse that we're going to cover, a cultural thing, and I can't even explain it to you because it's so screwy, but we'll see it, and we'll see if we can understand it. So then, in um, chapter 10, he talks about the believer's freedom, he says in verse 23, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. And you know, in, in churches today, we, it just amazes me. We see people that are so selfish, and, and they, they want it, they... They're interested in what they can get out of it for themselves, but they're not really that interested in contributing to the needs of others. And uh, when we studied chapter uh, 12 in spiritual gifts, you know, it's really interesting, and I'm just going to say this, but Paul went through uh, a list of the gifts. And it wasn't an exhaustive list by any chance. There's a lot more gifts than what he mentioned in chapter 11. But one of the gifts that he said was basically the least of all gifts was the speaking in tongues. And it had to be interpreted when that gift was used. Well, today in you know churches, especially the Pentecostal type churches, they don't follow that most don't follow that uh, very well at all. So they're, they're really, their worship is totally out of order. And it says that the, the prophetic gift, the gift of prophecy is for believers and the gift of tongue is for, tongues is for unbelievers. And uh, we saw that in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 9 when Peter got up and he, he spoke in tongues, we were we we just don't know whether he he spoke in his native language and they heard it in their own languages, 
which I have a tendency to lean toward because that would be certainly the most convenient way to do it, wouldn't it? Um, but yeah, they, they were a mess in, in spiritual gifts. And in chapter 13, which we haven't covered yet, I'm going to try to cover that this Sunday. Chapter 13 is the love chapter, okay? We all know that. And so what Paul does here is he tries to tie the believer's freedom with, um, with doing good for others, with, with always thinking about the good of others instead of your own good. And love, the 13th chapter, is the key because that's what binds them both together. Okay? If you love your brother, you won't make him stumble. Right? And that's basically what Paul is saying here. In chapter 14, he goes on and he, he reiterates the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And what we're into right now is chapter 15, which is an amazing chapter. It's a long chapter. It's the last, second to the last chapter in the first book that he writes. And it's about resurrection. Let's go into, into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. He says, Now, brothers... So we know he's writing to Christians here because he calls them brothers. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, that's past tense, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Now this word, this if, it could be translated since. And generally, when we, if you go into the book of Hebrews, Paul is not saying that these people weren't saved, that they have lost their salvation in any way, but they're saying, he's saying, since you have believed, your salvation is valid. Okay? Um, the one thing I want you to notice here is this, is that there's, he says here, he says, I preached to you, that's past tense, which you received, that's past tense, and on which you have taken your stand. Now, do you see that as past tense or present tense? Present tense? Okay. So you've taken your stand. Well, now, when we look at, and you don't have to turn the but when we look at Ephesians, and we've studied it many times, Many times in the past, you know, in chapter 6, Paul says, stand therefore. Stand with your feet shedded with the readiness of the gospel. Uh, stand therefore and shield yourselves from the fiery darts of the wicked one, etc. And so we are to stand. And here's what he says here. By this gospel, you are saved. All right. You are saved. Is that past or present or future tense? What do you think? You are saved. In the, in the original language, the tense of the verb has a tendency to say this. You have been saved with prop with the with the you have been saved, but the process is you're still being saved. Okay? We have not received our salvation yet. 
We will receive the end of our salvation when we get to heaven, but we are saved, past tense. Okay? So... Uh, we studied that, wasn't that in, wasn't that in our, um, let me see if that was in our, in our study in Corinthians. The working out seems like it's an ongoing thing. Too. Yeah, and it's not a matter of your salvation is dependent upon your works, okay? You know, it's like work it out type thing. You know, you, we're working out our salvation. We're a, we're a salvation in progress, yeah, for sure. Now, this chapter 15 is very interesting in that the Apostle Paul here gives us the gospel. He says that by this gospel you are saved. You have been saved in the past with the result that you continue to be saved. It could be translated that way. If or since you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Now he's going to bring up believing in vanity in chapter 15 again, so let's, let's hang tough and we'll, we'll get that in just a few. He goes into chapter 15 verse 3, he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. Okay. This should be underlined in your Bible. This is of first importance. What is that? That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that's his half-brother, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So in this, we have eyewitness accounts of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. He, was, he died on the cross. We know that from the fact that when the spear was thrust into Christ's side, the fluids that came out of him were indicative of a dead man, okay? And it's amazing to us, we think about it, Christ died for our sins. He died. He was put in the grave where his body lay, all right? And his spirit and his soul, however, did not die. So he went into, as it says in Ephesians, he descended, let's read it, Ephesians chapter, I think it's round two. Let me see if I can find it. Oh no, it's uh, in four. Look what it says in Ephesians four. And let's go to verse seven. It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given. Okay, that's past tense, as Christ apportioned it. So to each one of us, God gave a certain portion of grace as he knew we would need it or, take, or use it. One of the things that you, you want to always be aware of is this, is that in heaven, okay, 
Is there going to be degrees of happiness in heaven? What do you think? Huh? I don't think there's degrees of it. Okay. All right, then, then let me put this out to you then. When we read in Corinthians, in the third chapter, about rewards, some will have their rewards burnt up, and some will not. The, the rewards that are burnt up are going to be made up of wood, hay, and stubble, and the rewards that will stand are precious stones, gold, and silver, right? So then, would it be fair to say that the people that lose their rewards or don't get any rewards, are they going to be less happy in heaven than the people that got their rewards? No, we hope not. Don't think so? No. Okay. I, I think it's where you're at. I mean, it's like, you know, if you're a baby and you're hitting a spoon on the wall, you're happy. You're static. But if, if you're an adult, that's not going to do anything for you. So if you're a baby Christian, you're still going to be yeah, absolutely, and, and that's the way to look at it. it. It's all about capacity, okay? A capacity to enjoy or capacity to comprehend. When we, <clears throat> if you think about it, uh, and, and you, that's a perfect example, although I, I do get a lot of thrills beating my head against the, <laughs> you know, the wall of my uh, kitchen occasionally, but yeah, you know, if, see, here on the face of this earth, as we come to know the Lord more and more, better and better, we build up that capacity to appreciate what He's done and who He is. Amen. He is the God of the universe, the supreme and sovereign one. Okay? And um, as we grow in our faith here on the face of this earth, God gives us more... Um, things to appreciate, if you will, okay? There's no jealousy, no. And I don't know that there will even be, I'm not sure that there will even be any way of telling that, um, you know, she got more, more uh, she's happier than I am because, you know, I, I don't think that that's the way it's gonna be. But think about it this way, okay? I remember when I was a kid, oh man, when I was like 10, I wanted to drive so bad, right? That was my dream, to drive a car. And when I was 15, of course, I beat feet down to the DMV and got my permit, and that was just, you know, heaven on earth, and, you know. But the 10-year-old did not have the same capacity to enjoy that as someone that was older because they just didn't have that capacity. Are you hot, Connie? It's okay. You sure? Yeah. I, I'm not going <laughs> to... I can have Pam fan you if you want. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay. So it is, it is a matter of capacity, and that is a good, a good way to look at it, is the young boy who just enjoys playing with his toy tr Tonka truck He's having a ball, and the older boy, who has the real thing, is also enjoying it at a different level of capacity. That's, that's good. So... Do we still have discernment? Um, 
Will we need will we need discernment? That would be the question. To understand why. We're going to understand, we're going to know as we are known. We're going to have perfect discernment, perfect knowledge, perfect intuition. Uh, we there will be no need for faith when it comes when, when when we go to heaven because we can see everything then. Yeah, we can see we don't need to have faith then. What's that? It'll be revealed. Everything will be revealed. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be it's going to be so different than what we know now that it, it'll just it'll just amaze us and I'm ready to be amazed to be honest with you, but uh, we'll see what the Lord says. But here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. It says in verse 7, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, Christ may have given you more grace than he gave me because of certain reasons, but I don't sit here and compare myself to you and say, she has more grace than I do, therefore I'm, I'm bummed, right? Because what does it say in the Bible? It says, comparing yourselves among each other is unwise. So, he goes on to say, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Verse 9, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order that to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And why did he do that? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and, listen, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When we get to heaven, we will have attained to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Therefore, we will not be comparing each other with each other. and We will not be, you know, oh, she got a bigger mansion than I did or something, you know, I don't know. But So, back to Corinthians, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Because this chapter is the resurrection chapter, and it's also the gospel. He, he lays it. If you if you ever want to just plain old tell somebody the gospel, go to First Corinthians chapter fifteen. You can read it right out of your Bible. He says, "For what I received, this is Paul speaking, I passed on to you as a first or most important thing." that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as also as to one abnormally born. So when you look at this, 
I mean, that is the gospel in, the, in a nutshell. And the fact that Christ was buried verified the fact that he died. You don't bury a live person. The fact that he appeared to these other people and to his disciples verifies his resurrection. You know, in a court of law, how many testimonies does it take to, to verify a truth? Two. Yeah, two. And, and, and in, the, in the Bible, that's the same thing. So, with Jesus having appeared to Peter, having appeared to the disciples, having appeared to 500 people, he more than met the qualification of uh, proving that he was alive. He says in verse 9, Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles. Now, you know, I don't agree with this, but I can understand why he said why he says this. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. You know, when I was going over this earlier, you know, it's by God's grace that we are who we are. Good, bad, and ugly. Okay? It's God's grace that we can be here and we can know the Lord and we can have His grace apportioned to us and we can possess gifts that we can use not only in His glory but for the benefit of other people. And what a blessing that Paul is saying here. He's saying... And he goes on, he says, but the grace, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. So now Paul is going to talk about the resurrection here because there was a situation in the Jewish world where there was different sects. For example, sects, that's S-E-C-T-S, -E okay? Just so you'll know. Uh, and there was the Pharisaical sect which believed in a resurrection from the dead. And they believed in angels. Then there was the uh, Sanhedrin that sect did not believe in a resurrection from the dead. And uh, we see where Paul actually used that against, uh, used that against each other. In fact, let me see if I can find the scripture because uh, it's kind of a fun one to look at. Let's see if it's in Mark 16, 7. Mark 16, 7. Let me look at it. No, that's not it. Let me try one more. One more. Luke 24, 34. Let me try that one. Luke 24, 34. 24, 34. Nope, well, not one either. Ah. Okay, well, anyway. So, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and looking at verse 12. 
But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So Paul is, is raising a logical argument here, okay? If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. He goes on, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. Why? For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. You know, I mean, what is it about the Christian life that attracts us to it? It's the fact that there's going to be life after this life, right? Yeah, this isn't all there is. And the next life, at least for Christians anyway, is going to be unbelievable. So indescribable that you can't describe it. The life for the unbeliever after this life is also undescribable, and it will be it will be hell on it will be hell to be hell. What does it say? Um, the believer dies only once, but the unbeliever dies twice. Okay, the unbeliever dies twice. The believer is born twice but dies once. The unbeliever is born once but dies twice. Thank you. Yeah. Do you understand that? Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's continue on. Then. Feel free to stop me if you have a question. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ was the first one to be raised from the dead. For since death came through a man, who are we talking about here? Adam, yes. The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. And what are what is what is the turn? Christ, the first fruits, he's the first one. Then, when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And I love in Revelation chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but here's what Jesus says. He says, uh, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. 
Not, there's no two ways to misunderstand that. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus has got those keys. Now, so then do you see the order, the logical order here, or the order that the Bible gives us as far as who gets resurrected first? Christ had to get resurrected first. Okay, Bill? Right, right. Okay, so let's go on then. We're going to look at verse 27. And, and some of this is going to be a little murky, so we'll try to figure it out. It says this, For he has put everything under his feet. Now that is a quote. Uh, let me see if I, from Psalm 8, verse 6. And that's God putting everything under Christ's feet. Okay. He says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. So even, even Christ, even Jesus Christ submits to the Father. Okay? Now, this is a weird scripture here in, in, in verse 29. It says, now if there is no resurrection, okay? There was people that were saying there was no resurrection. What will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? if the dead are not raised. Now, anybody want to tackle that one? Come on, don't, don't raise your hands all at once. So verse 29 is the kicker here. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? Bill, you got any thoughts on that one? Okay. So I, I think that probably this must have been some type of a cultural thing that had to do with the culture that they lived in because obviously you're not baptized for the dead. Well, doesn't the Catholic religion kind of... The Catholic religion took that up. Yeah. And they said that, you know, not only can you be baptized for the dead, but... You can, if you say prayers and give enough money, yeah. then you can pray and get somebody out of purgatory, which there is no such places. So yeah, they took this, they took this verse and they ran with it. And, and I, I really think, and I'll, I'll investigate it further, but I really think that it was some type of a cultural thing, Bill. 
baptized more than as a testimony. What is what is baptism? Baptism is actually a uh, an act of faith. It, it's a way of testifying to the world that you're saved. It's the filling waters, the physical waters of baptism saved. Now, the spiritual baptism definitely, definitely does, but you do testify by mm -hmm. being baptized. So yeah. I wonder if it's not related to that. Yeah. Well, right, right. Yes. There is too some churches even today that do grave, they lay on the graves of the people mm -hmm. and do, I see it more as, and then I, I just was going to go on and read again here, but yeah, she might. I see it more as like a deception of a false yeah, uh, they were, one of the arguments or one of the commentaries said that um, it was, these people were, were being baptized for those who were going to enter into the body of Christ but died before they could be baptized. So they were baptized for them, um, which I think is nonsense, okay? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, yeah, it's just, it's, this is a very interesting verse, and I'll, I'll look at it um, this week and see if next week we can explain it a little better, because I can't this week. So, Paul goes on. He says in verse 32, in fact, put a verse 31, I die every day, I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now I've got 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Let me see what that says. Uh, see if that... Yeah, I, I'm still not seeing anything that's going to help us with that verse 29. So we'll, we'll look at that next week. He goes on verse 33, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. But someone may ask, verse 35, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So now he's going to use an example. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives his own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. And fish another. There are also heavenly bodies. And there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. And the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and stars differ from star in splendor. Do you remember, uh, I believe it was back in Genesis, where 
God told Adam not to mix, not to mix the species. Remember that? And here Paul says that they have a different type of flesh. Birds have a different type of flesh than fish do. Fish have a different type of flesh than tigers do. You know, you understand what I'm saying here? And so there's a point to all this. He's, he's basically saying this, is that what is planted, okay, when we die is not going to be what we see when we come alive or when we raise from the dead. Let's look at it here. He says in verse 42, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. That's our body we have now. But it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Boy, that's a, that's a verse I wish more unbelievers could, could know, you know. You, you've, got a, you've got a natural body and you're also going to have a spiritual body and that spiritual body is going to live somewhere either with God or without God depending on your decision that you make here on the face of this earth. The first, it says, uh, verse 45, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Now, it's interesting because he doesn't say the second Adam, does he? He says the last Adam. Because if he, second, if he said the second Adam, what would the, the logical thing be? There might be a third Adam, huh? Yeah, exactly. So it says here, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. That's when God breathed into him. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are born, or those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Well, that's good news. Man. He says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Well, that does away with a lot of um, false teachings on on what, what's going on when, uh, you know, I mean, the, the Mormons believe that we're going to all be gods eventually. Yeah, good luck. You don't want me to be a god, trust me. Mm -mm. He says in verse 51, he says, listen, I tell you a mystery, and this is a mystery. We will not all sleep. In other words, we will not all die. 
but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable, that's what we, where we're at right now, must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immorality, immortality, sorry. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Shall we go to 16? Okay, let's see. Wait a minute. Verse 29. Yeah. All right. So that, sure. Um, that okay. This is David Guzik. He, this is who? David Guzik. Okay. He has a commentary online thing that's short and simple and plain. The plain meaning of the original language is that some people are being baptized on behalf of those who have died. Paul's point is there's no resurrection. Why are they doing this? What is the point if there's no life after death? And then he goes on and says a few other things, but he ends up with Paul's point is plain. The pagans even believe in the resurrection because they baptize for the dead. The pagans have a sense to believe in resurrection, but some of the Corinthians didn't. And this was just one of their uh, uh, suspicious, what, let's see, he refers to the pagan custom as vicarious uh, baptism for the dead. He mentions the superstitious custom without approving of it and uses it to fortify his argument that there is a resurrection from the dead. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a superstition thing that mm -hmm. like the Catholics. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it was, it was part of pagan culture. Yeah. Yeah, which... You know, we don't, I mean, right now I, I can't think of anything that, that, that parallels that, but there probably is in, in today's pagan culture. Who knows? Thank you. That was, was good. He's pretty clear. He's pretty good. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 16. Let's see what it, Paul's got to say to, to them at the end of this letter. He says, now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem if it seems advisable for me to go also they will accompany me. So these churches, you know, they took offerings for 
for their fellow churches and for the uh, the saints in Jerusalem were, I, I'm assuming, especially starting to feel persecutions because of of, um, of the the governing authorities. He says this in verse five: After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. And these are all imperative in the Greek, which means these are all commands. You know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these, and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived, because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. One thing about Paul, he didn't mince any words, did he? No? Well, we'll next week we'll go into 2 Corinthians to see how many chapters are in 2 Corinthians. There's 13 chapters, and just so you'll kind of get a preview of coming attractions, uh, he's going to speak about the God of all comfort, uh, forgiveness uh, for the sinner, ministers of the new covenant, uh, the glory of the new covenant. Uh, chapter 4 be treasures in, in jars of clay. Uh, chapter 5, he's going to talk about heaven. Uh, chapter 6, let's see. Um, stumbling blocks, unbelievers, etc., Chapter 7, 
Paul talks about him, his trip. Chapter 8, he encourages them to be generous. Uh, chapter 9, uh, more generosity is encouraged, and uh, etc. So that'll be fun to see what Paul says in the last part of chapter, the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Isn't it neat how Paul started this letter kind of, you know, you're doing this, you're doing this. but the way he ended it was just so kind and so loving. I love you guys. Mm -hmm. I'm not speaking this to you guys because I think you're awful people. I love you. And look at and he shows, you know, and, and these people love you and these people love you. Well, and it goes to show you how close-knit they were. The community was much, much closer knit than the Christian community today. You know, I think. Don't you guys think? Yeah. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. Lord, help us in, in our uh, church here to take these things into consideration and to learn from them, Lord. Help us not to tolerate evil and sin. And Father, we just pray that you'll help us to be generous in our giving and in our time and our energy, Lord. And that, Father, you'd bless this church and cause it to grow, Lord. Cause us to grow spiritually, mentally, and physically, Lord God. And we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends. Yeah. We did it. Um... It'll it'll be good it'll be good to get into bed and put these ice packs yeah. under and on top. So yeah.